0: Alright, so we are starting a new series today called I Own, I Own, and this series is going to be focusing on biblical stewardship in four major areas that directly impacts every other area of our life, okay, And, and stewardship, you know, that's not a word we go around saying a lot of, that's not, you know, we don't use that in everyday conversation, you know, I don't, I don't go over to you and say, so how are you stewarding today? You know, and you don't ask me that. I mean, that's kind of a, a word we just don't use that much. But stewarding or stewardship simply means controlling or taking care of something that's been entrusted to you. Whatever has been entrusted to you by someone else that's that's you you're now a steward. You know, you're asked to take care of someone's pets while they're away for va- for for vacation. You are stewarding their pets. You know, if you ask if somebody asks you to house sit for them while they're away, you're stewarding that. Uh, it's just taking care of something that's been entrusted to you or something that's been on loan to you. Uh, it's taking care of that and managing that. And so you can, you can be a good steward and take care of things the way you should, or you can be a bad steward, you know, and just let it go. And we've all seen both of those, I think. We all have, have seen the unfortunate example of what can happen when, when there's bad stewardship, and we're all refreshed when there's good stewardship on display, especially if it's something that we have entrusted to someone else. So that's what stewardship is. And it really does come down to ownership, you know what I mean? I take personal responsibility in the thing that I've been entrusted with. It, it, it means I'm, I'm vested. I'm all in. I see it as depending on me for success. To make things what they need to be, it's up to me. I put it on my shoulders willingly. Uh, it's, it's owning that. And so we're going to be looking at, at the four major areas. By no means is this exhaustive with the areas of stewardship we're called to, as Christians, but it is the most major, the most significant, and it is what has the direct, most direct impact throughout every other area of our life. So I hope you'll be excited about what God communicates to you through this series, through his word. Uh, I know that it's something that, that is needed uh, in my own life, and I'm sure you will benefit from that as well. So that's where we're headed. Let's, uh, let's pray together briefly before we dive in today, though, okay? Father, thank you so much for what has already taken place in this service. Thank you for the, the new members that we have welcomed in. And, and Father, we're just so excited to, to see them and uh, passionate about this local body and using their gifts in the coming days and weeks ahead uh, to both serve this body and this community, but ultimately th- to serve you. And, and I just pray that we would rally around them in support and encouragement and that you will be very, very pleased with what is accomplished here as we work together for the kingdom. Father, thank you for the music that has been uh, offered up and the way that we have praised you through song. And thank you for those who have given faithfully to your work here. And, and I just I, I know that all of this is seen by you as a, as a sweet sacrifice of praise. It's all worship. And now as we pause to get into your word and and allow your spirit to speak to us, that is also an act of worship. And, And I pray that you would clear our minds from every distraction, give strength to our bodies and our minds, help us to be alert despite being tired from the week and the weekend. And I just pray that you would unite us all right now through your spirit around your word. May we hear from the Holy Spirit and the remainder of our time together. May it be his words, his truth that is heard, and then help us, empower us to apply what is said. I ask all of this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. And there was this guy one time, he was uh, on his way back from a a business trip, and uh, rather than going the normal route home, the way he always would have gone, He decided he had some time to kill, he didn't have a lot of responsibilities to get back to, he was just going to take it easy, you know, he was going to kind of unwind from the the business meetings and just kind of explore the countryside, get off the beaten path a little bit. So he's driving along, just taking in the scenery and enjoying himself, and he comes across this this town that his GPS didn't recognize, he hadn't seen it on a map, he never heard of this town, but he, he goes right on through, and he comes to this stop sign, and there, in front of him, he sees something he just he can't even really process. He's like, well, "What am I seeing here? What is this? What is going on?" And, and what he sees passing in front of him in the intersection where normally you'd find a car coming through, he sees this guy just walking past him. But he's not just walking; he's doing this. He's he's just walking along as if he's driving a car, and he even stops and he does the thing that you normally do when you're driving and you see somebody. You wave. You know, he's like. And He keeps on going, and the guy in the car is like, "Okay." He just does this like awkward wave, and he just he doesn't know what he's seeing. And so he 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 collects himself. He keeps on going. He goes through the stop sign. He's driving along, looking around, and he sees uh, on, on either side of the street he sees a place where uh, there should be these these nice houses. You know, it's these 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 lawns that look like they're they're just suited for these nice big beautiful houses. Uh, but instead of a full, you know, complete house, he sees just this, this frame. It's, it's, like, it's like what you'd find on a, on a set of a play or a movie or something. It's just the front of the house, you know, like plywood, painted. And there's this little flimsy door, and he sees people going in and out of it. And, and he's able to look all the way around, and he sees people just sitting down at pretend tables, eating pretend food. He sees people walking up to pretend refrigerators to get things out. He sees people laying down on pretend beds. And he's thinking, what is going on? Where have I come into? What is this place? Is this like some weird mime town? You know? Is this some social experiment or something? Is this all people who have escaped from like a mental institution? What's going on? and he's, he's thinking by now he's thinking I just got to get out of here I just I got to get out of this place this is freaking me out so he's driving along and, and he looks around some more and, and he sees something and he keeps on going but he stops and he's like wait a second that, that's it that's it I can't take it anymore so you know he steps on the brakes reverses his car pulls off the road and he gets out because what he saw was this man walking along with a leash he's walking a leash but it's an empty leash there's no dog He's just walking along, and this little limp leash is hanging down, and he even stops as if the dog was going to the bathroom with an empty leash. He just stops and kind of lets the dog do its business, and, and that was just too much. So the businessman, the traveler, he gets out of his car, walks up to the man with the leash, and he says, sir, I'm sorry to bother you. Excuse me, but I just have to ask, what is going on here? And the man looks puzzled. And he says, well, what do you mean? The man says, well, when I pulled into your town, in front of me in the intersection, there was this man walking along, acting like he was driving a car. I mean, he waves at me and everything, and he just—he wasn't in a car. He was just pretending. Then I drive on, and I see where all the houses should be, and it's just these frames, these sets, movie set kind of thing, with nothing in it. What's up with that? And then I see you walking a dog that's not there. Please explain to me what's going on. Where have I where have I come? And the man says, "Oh, well, um, you know, we we used to uh, we used to own homes, actual houses, and we used to own cars that we drove in. We even used to own pets, just like everybody else." And the man says, "Well, what happened? What, what changed?" And the man says, "Well, we just got tired." of all the burden and responsibility and the, the work that goes into owning all those things. But we really like the idea of it, so we just kind of picture it all in our minds, and, and it's just as real to us as, as anyone else, but without all the burden, without the responsibility of actually owning these things. So we have the best of both worlds. And the man says, well, wait a second, what about if you need shelter? You know, like rainstorms or snow, or, or what about them? Where do you go if you need shelter? And what about food? You need to eat. What do you guys do then? The man says, Oh, it's, it's easy. We just go down to the next town. And we, we go into those people's homes. And we, we take shelter with them and we eat their food and they drive us around wherever we need to go in their cars. And the man says, Wait, wait, wait a second. You mean, you mean, you just kind of take advantage of. All the things those people do own and have worked for and all the things that they take responsibility in, you just kind of reap the benefit, huh? And the man says, yeah, exactly. You got it. You got it. Have a nice day. And he walks along. The man just, he can't believe what he's seen and what he's heard. And he just, whew, he just gets in his car, kind of composes himself, puts it in gear, and he gets out of there. And, and he's thinking, I cannot wait to get back to the burdens of homeownership. Because it's brought it all into perspective for him, and he can't get there any sooner. The end. The end. So um, I, I tell you, you know, I tell you this this silly story, the story that's just totally out there. Uh, I, I made that up to convey uh, a point. And and as as outlandish as that story is, as crazy and kind of weird science fiction horror type movie that is. Um, it really does actually connect to something that is very true in our modern culture, in our society. And that is a a total lack of ownership. A total lack of ownership. You know, our society and our culture increasingly is opposed to doing what it takes to really get vested in anything. They're increasingly opposed to taking responsibility for themselves or their life. They're increasingly opposed to to putting in what is necessary to contribute to society and to to make culture strong in what it needs to be. There's just a a sense of not wanting to to own the situation that's before you or to own responsibility in your life or in the lives of others. That's just a, a prevalent and increasing mindset in culture. And sadly, and very alarming, is that it has also crept into the church. It's crept into the church. So much so that uh, in, within the context of the church, you have an increasing number of people who, who name the name of Christ, who believe that, that being in a church is important. You know, they want to attend. They want to participate loosely, but at arm's length. You know, it's like, I, I don't want to really put down roots. I don't want to commit to anything. I don't want to actually jump in, dive in, and become a member of the church. I want to just attend. I want to kind of check things out. I want to be free to move around. You know, if, if, if there's something, anything that happens slightly at, at church A that I don't like, I want to have the freedom to just go to church B without any drama or issue. I want to just be able to kind of do my own thing. I want, I want to make church a, a part of my life, but, you know, it's, it's going to be way down on the priority list. And, and just don't expect me to get really involved. It, it's kind of like, you know, the, uh, the cell phone uh, companies now. Uh, most cell phone companies are pushing the no contract thing, right? All right. Come here, there's no contract. Come here, there's no contract. And, and it's, it's all about just this open-ended agreement rather than a, than a contractual obligation-type uh, agreement that has always been the way it used to be. Uh, you know, I used to sell cell phones. I worked in the cell phone industry uh, right in the beginning of college. And, uh, man, it was, everybody had a contract. Some was two, some was three years. There wasn't this, this concept of trading in your phone in and out when the new one came along. I mean, you were stuck, right? You paid for your phone and you had it until two, three years down the road. But that's all changed now because they figured out really quickly, society, they don't want that anymore. Culture, no, they're not about commitment. They're not about, you know, putting your name down on the dotted line. They're not about being held accountable to anything. So let's just accommodate that. Let's do away with the contract. That's the kind of the cell phone world. But, but the parallel, the parallel is very real with society as a whole. And again, even in in the church, it's it's becoming increasingly common to have that mindset that I'm kind of shopping the church, not really part of the church. And here's the problem with all that. Here's the problem. Please hear me on this. The Christian life is not available to rent. The Christian life is not available to rent. You either own it all or not at all. The Christian life is not available to rent. You either own it all or not at all. Here's what Jesus had to say about that in Luke 9.23. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, in other words, align themselves with me, identify themselves with me, follow me, be about what I'm about, be pursuing what I'm pursuing. If anyone wants to come with me, here's what ha- needs to happen. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, and, and you, you got to just love the way Jesus sets it all out there in front of you right at the very beginning. You know, he doesn't keep anything back. He just lets you know right away, here's what it's going to mean to be my follower. You really want to follow me? You really want to jump into the Christian life? You really want to be my disciple? Great, great, but let me just show you, let me tell you right, right up front what's going to be expected of you, what's necessary. And I, I mean, don't we all appreciate when that happens? You know, when you're buying something and, and the salesman just lays it all out, You know, there's no hidden fees. There's no stipulations you find out about after the fact. It's just all out there. Isn't that great when that happens? Isn't that refreshing? You know, so you know what you're getting into. That's exactly Jesus's way. That's the way he always did it. He said, I want you to come with me. I want you to be part of what I'm doing here. I want you to come into the kingdom. I want to use you in in the story I'm writing. But before you just jump in, let me me tell you about, about how it's going to be. Let me just show you right up front. No aces up the sleeve. Let me just be clear. That's what he was here. He said, you want to come with me? Great. But you've got to deny yourself. Self-sacrifice. You've got to be about me and others more than yourself. You've got to be about my agenda first and foremost instead of your own. You've got to be pursuing me above the things you want for yourself. And then he says, and take up his cross daily. Now the cross was always an instrument of death. No one ever went to the cross without being conquered by it. Even Jesus died on it with him. Obviously it did not keep him dead, but it still did its work. He gave his life on the cross. The cross was always an instrument of death, and it always did its job. So, what Jesus is saying here is not only do you have to deny yourself by choosing things to, to abstain from, or to avoid, or to resist, you also have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself and live for me in place of living for yourself. It's a tall order. It's a tall order. This is a high calling. It's not that Jesus didn't want people to come to him, want them to follow him. He does, he, he did. But he wanted them to understand what they were getting into. I appreciate that very much. Then along the same lines, Luke 9, 57 through 62, farther in the passage we read this. As they were traveling on the road, that's Jesus and his disciples, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, okay, all right great, great, but, but let, me, uh, let me let you know what this is going to involve. <clears throat> and he says this, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man, it's a title for Jesus, as Messiah, has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, notice the difference, someone said to him, I'll follow you. Now Jesus is saying to someone else, follow me, follow me. Lord, He said, first, uh, let me go and bury my father. So this man that Jesus looks out to, he says, hey, hey, I I want you to follow me. Come be a part of what I'm doing here. I I have this plan for you. I have a design for you. I have a desire to use you in my kingdom building. Come follow me. Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus look at you and say, hey, I I want you. I want you. Well, side note, if you're here and you're in Christ, that's exactly what he said. He said, I want you, come with me. But that's another time, right? He said to this man, Come, follow me, come, follow me. And the man says, You know, Lord, I, I want to, I'm all about that, <laughs> I'm there. But, but first, first, let me just go and, and take care of things with my father. Let me just go take care of things at, at home. And, and what he was saying here was not, "My father has died, and he's laying in the living room floor, and I need to bury him." It's not what he was saying. It wasn't imminent. It wasn't something that like just happened. He's saying, "I am in my father's house and I'm caring for him. He's elderly, he's aging. Um, at some point, he's going to die and he's going to need burial, and he's going to need all those arrangements. And, and, and a side note to that, culturally in this day and age, that would have also meant inheritance would be kicking in. You see where I'm going? And so this was an indefinite thing. It wasn't, my dad died and no one's buried him yet. It was, my dad is old, and, you know, anytime he could just kick the bucket... I want to just be there first for all that. And then once all that's squared away, Jesus, you got it. I'm, gonna, I'll, I'm with you. I'll follow you. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. He was saying there, let those who are not pursuing My eternal kingdom, let those who are not pursuing me, let those who are not pursuing and living out righteousness, in other words, the spiritually dead, let them take care of these affairs. Let them worry about the things of this world. Let them be limited to this earth and this experience. You, I want you to set your mind on things above. I want you to get the eternal perspective. I want you to come and be part of the kingdom. It was a perspective shift he was calling him to. He's saying, I I want you to be all in with me. I want you to take ownership into what I'm doing. It's far better than anything this world has to offer, including staying and taking care of your aging father. I'm calling you to something even bigger than that. Will you come? Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, Uh uh-oh, but first, but first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Let me, I know what it's going to mean to follow you. I know it's going to have to be all in, all or nothing, a total life commitment here. So, so let me just go and, and say goodbye to those in my house. I, I'm just not quite ready to jump in right this moment. <laughs> Jesus said to him, Whew, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Mm. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, no, listen, I need people who will finish what they start. I need people to jump in and be all in when they've jumped in. I need people that are totally focused on me and on my agenda and what I'm seeking to do here and the work that I've called them to. That's what I need. Are you going to be one of those people or not? That's the question. Are you going to be one of those people Or not. See, what Jesus is saying here and what he was addressing is the fact that owning my faith means it's not just a crutch I use when things go wrong. Owning my faith means it's not just a crutch I use when things go wrong. It's not something I embrace or walk in only when it's convenient. Or as long as it's comfortable. And guys, I'll give you the answer to this blank in just a minute. We're not ready for that one yet, okay? Um, Owning my faith means that if I'm really going to own it, if I'm really going to be all in, uh, then it's going to have to be constant and it's going to have to be complete. It's not going to be this on-again, off-again thing. It's not going to be temporary. It's going to have to be 100% committed in the good and the bad, right? Right? When it's convenient and comfortable, as well as when it's messy and uncomfortable and difficult and painful. It's not either or, it's, it's just regardless of what happens around me. Owning one's faith means um, it, it being defined by that faith, being directed by that faith. It's not a taking off of the shelf and putting back on kind of thing. It's a, this is the house I live in. This is the clothes I wear. This is the food I eat 24-7 kind of thing. That's what it means to be plugged into faith. That's what it means to be owning my faith. That means owning my Christianity is a constant thing. It's my whole identity. It's my whole way of life. It's my whole purpose, 150%. Owning my faith means I don't depend on the faith of others. Owning my faith means I don't depend on the faith of others. There's a great example of this in the scripture. There's a couple powerful examples. Brief but powerful. Uh, one is, is Joshua, Joshua. And in Exodus 33.11, Exodus 33.11 says this, The Lord spoke with Moses face to face. Just as a man speaks with his friend. Wouldn't that have been awesome? You know, man. One day, guys. One day, if you're in Christ, that's exactly what will happen. And until then, it's not like we totally miss out. We've got the Holy Spirit himself inside of us. If we would just listen, he'll speak. But man, face to face. Just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. And and catch this part. But his assistant... But his assistant, the young man, Joshua, son of Nun, that's not like he didn't have a father, okay? Son of Nun is the the name of his his father. Um, He would not leave the inside of the tent. Why? Because that's where God was. You see that? Moses, he speaks to the Lord face to face. He worships the Lord. Joshua's there observing. Moses is done. He leaves. He goes back to his his normal routine of the day, whatever that was. But Joshua, without being told to do this, without Moses saying, Joshua, I think it's a good idea for you to stay a while and just meditate and pray and and meet with the Lord. He didn't have anybody telling him that. Of his own, he said, this is where I'm going to be. God is here and I'm there. Where God is, that's where I want to be. And he's just sitting there, and he's just soaking up the Lord's presence. He's just being totally saturated by God. Isn't that beautiful? That was what he decided to do. He wasn't depending on the experience that Moses had that he'd pass on to Joshua. He wasn't depending on Moses' faith. He went after God on his own. He's pursuing faith for himself. He's walking and living out his faith for himself. What that means for us is we need to follow Joshua's example. And we don't need to get into the Lord's presence and into the word of the Lord only when others are instructing or challenging us to do so. It means we need to get after God all on our own. 100% of the time. It means I don't depend on on my father or mother or grandfather or uncle or aunt or brother or anyone else in my family who is really committed to God. I don't depend on their experience for my own. I don't ride the coattails of their faith. It means I pursue the life of Christianity on my own and for myself. Another example is that of Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.5 Paul says, I'm clearly recalling your Sincere faith. You catch that? Your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. You see the pattern there? This is ownership, guys. This is ownership. This is Paul recognizing that in his young protege Timothy's life, he has owned his faith for himself all by himself. Yes, it was passed down from generation to generation as it should be in every Christian home. Another side note, uh, Christian mom and dad, Christian grandparents, we are called to pass down the legacy of faith to our children and our grandchildren. We're commanded to do that. But in doing so, we have to make sure they are owning their faith for themselves. That includes... Letting them ask some hard questions. That includes not being terrified when they call into question some things that you don't question. Okay? I mean, you guide them, you steer them, you don't just let them go, you know, an indefinite period of time in that questioning. You, you bring them back, but, but you've got to let them discover it for themselves. You've got to let them meet God on their own. And you've got to let Him draw them to Himself. Another, another message for another time. But we see that played out here with Timothy in his life, in his home. It was passed down, it was shared, but he owned it himself. He owned it himself. It, because owning my faith means I don't depend on the faith of others. Also, owning my faith means I don't depend, this is a big one, on cultural conformity. Owning my faith means I don't depend on cultural conformity to inform or shape my faith. And that is so relevant to the time we're living in. Because our culture is not, you know, coming back <laughs> to faith and to being open to faith and coming back to, to accepting and embracing the truths of Christianity. That's not what's happening, is it? No, it's the complete opposite. They can't run away fast enough. Our culture is rapidly disintegrating. And departing from any type of biblical spiritual compass. Our culture says, eh, just whatever you want to pursue for your faith, that's fine. And even if you don't want to pursue faith, that's fine too. You know, it, it's this, it's been out for a long time now. It's by no means new, but you know, the, the coexist uh, bumper stickers and the coexist. Stickers and signs that have all the different kind of world religion symbols and it's just like, let's just all get along and hold hands and sway and we're just happy, right? That's baloney. It's not going to work. That's not how it works. Because The Christian life is not available just to rent and to pick and choose. You either own it all or not at all. The Christian life is not a buffet that you just go down and, I'd like this, but I don't really like that, so I'm going to leave that. Yeah, give me some of that. Not that over there. No, that's not the way the Christian life and true faith works. The Christian life and the true faith is like what you had growing up. When you came to the dinner table, your mom said, here's food. This is what's for supper. I don't like it. Tough. That's what you're going to eat or you're going to go hungry. That's how I grew up. That's how kids should grow up. Hint, hint. It's not, hey, what would you like for dinner today, my sweet little princess that does nothing wrong? It's, here's dinner. You don't like it? Okay, you're going to be awfully hungry tonight. That's how the Christian life works. Sorry. (laughs) John 14, 6, you know what Jesus said? He cleared it up really nicely for us. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not, I'm one example of truth. I'm, I'm one way to, to life. He said, I'm it. I, it's exclusively tied to me. And then he went further and he said, No one, no one comes to the Father but by me. It's, that's it. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad there's only one option. Culture Says the opposite. So we cannot depend on cultural conformity to our faith, or, or, nor can we depend on, on ourselves being able to conform to culture. It's not going to work either way. A good example of this is in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. These are Daniel's three friends that were with him in the captivity when Nebuchadnezzar took away the nobles from Judah Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you like veggie tales, Rakshak and Beni. That's not inspired, though. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and the reason they replied is because King Nebuchadnezzar got it in his head, and he was very egotistical, and he said, you know what? I'm a pretty important dude. I've got it going on. I'm going to make this big, huge statue of myself. I'm going to cover it in gold, and I'm going to make every one of my subjects at a certain time every single day bow down and actually worship the statue. And by worshiping the statue, they're really going to worship me. Yeah, I like it. Let's do it. And it was done, right? So all the people who are doing it. They hear the music. They bow down. And here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just standing, standing tall. They're not bowing down. and The the guys around them are like, we've got them now. So they go and they tell King Nebuchadnezzar, those Jews who you've brought in and set up in places of leadership, and they're they're insulting you. They're totally spitting in your face. They're refusing to bow down. So he comes and he asks them. He says, "Is this true? Yep. Are you ready to bow down? Nope." This is what they replied. We don't need to give you an answer to this question. We don't have to think about it. We don't need to be careful about what we're going to say here. It's very simple. And the threat was if you don't bow down, you get thrown into a fiery furnace that will disintegrate you before you even hit the bottom. Here's what he says what they say if the God we serve exists, if he really is out there, if he really exists, if our faith is not in vain, then he can rescue us. From the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Listen to this. Isn't this great? Verse 18. But even if he does not rescue us, there's faith. Even if he doesn't, he can do anything he wants. He wants to snatch us out. He's gonna do it. There's nothing you can do about it. King Nebi. <laughs> But even if he does not, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Woo! Isn't that awesome? And that's owning your faith. It's living it out. That's not relying on culture to conform and make it easy or to accept it. Now, this was a total intolerant culture. Like what we are facing now. And, and, and that didn't matter to them. They stood up because they owned their faith. And it's evident even earlier in the book, in Daniel chapter 1, when they're first brought in. And they, along with Daniel, refused to eat the, the food and the, and the wine and the stuff that's offered to them so as to defile their Jewish beliefs. They stood strong. They said, no, we're, we're serving God, not you. Integrity, character, owning their faith. And then lastly... Owning my faith means I don't depend on specific circumstances to make it easy to accommodate my faith. I don't depend on specific circumstances for me to own my faith. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul and all he went through. My goodness. Talk about a life of hardship. He experienced it. And yet he remained faithful. Philippians 4.12-13 says this. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, catch that? In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. In other words, irregardless of circumstances, it's not what I'm dependent on. That's not what I'm anchored to. Here's what he is anchored to. I am Verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's anchor was tied to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what his faith rested in. That's what it was attached to. And that's why he owned his faith. Because he recognized Jesus was the one to sustain no matter what. So owning my faith means I don't depend on the faith of others. Owning my faith means I don't depend on cultural conformity. And owning my faith means I don't depend on specific circumstances. See, owning our faith in this way, deciding we are going to walk in... Our Christianity 24-7. It's not going to be something we turn to now and then. It's not going to be when it's convenient. It's going to be constant. It's going to define me. Owning our faith in that way is absolutely necessary and vital if we're going to be able to take ownership in anything else. You know, throughout the rest of this series, we're going to be talking about owning our finances and stewarding the, the resources that God has given us and what that looks like. We're going to be talking about owning our relationships, the relationships God has given us, the the people he's placed along our path. We're going to be talking about how to, to really own that and be stewards of that as we should be. And we're also going to be talking about owning our personal ministry, what that looks like. But none of those things, those areas, are going to be possible to properly steward unless we first own our faith. Because all that comes back to, to the first thing of owning our faith. All those other areas of ownership depend on this first one. Okay? But much more important than that, even more important than that, the reason that owning our faith should be so important to us, the reason it should be happening in our lives, is because of Jesus Christ. Owning my faith should be what I do in direct response to Jesus Christ and all he has done for me. Because, listen to me, listen to me, he is worthy of that. He is worthy of my complete devotion. He is worthy of me being all in. He is worthy of your total commitment. He is worthy of you abandoning all other things for his sake, for his name and his fame. He deserves our complete devotion, church. He paid much too high a price for us to take our faith lightly. It cost him too much. He didn't die for us so that we could play around with Christianity, he died for us so that we could be defined by Christianity, so that we would walk in it all the time, constantly. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, What? Do you not know that you are not your own? You were bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body, which is God's. He, in other words, Christ's blood shed for us and covering us, guess what that is? That's proof of ownership on our lives. We come to Christ as Savior and Lord. We need to understand that last part really, easy, really quickly, that he is Lord over us. He owns us, and the price for that ownership was his very life. And So if you name the name of Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then that means you're all in. That means total ownership 24-7 in every area of your life, because the Christian life's not available to rent. You either own it all or not at all my question to you is, have you made that type of commitment? Is that true of you? Would that describe your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? If so, are you living that out? Are you walking in that? Or, or are you just playing around? Are you just sampling Christianity? Sure, you can do that, but it's not authentic. It's not really going to change your life. It's not going to define you or shape you in any significant way, and it's not going to be something that God looks at and accepts. Just like Jesus told those that gave all those excuses, he's going to say, Nope, sorry, not interested. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. Are you living that out? What type of commitment do you have? Let's pray together. Christian life's not available to rent. You either own it all or not at all. My question is where do you fall in that? What is your level of commitment? Are you owning your faith today for yourself? Does it define you? Does it shape you? Does it direct your your decisions and your thought process? Does it it inform your actions? Or is it just something that's nice to kind of turn to when it it strikes you, when a need comes up, and something that you're kind of tolerant of, but it's not really who you are? Where are you in that? Where are you in that? If... If you're kind of just that first part, you're playing around, you're sampling, it's not really come to define you. You're not owning your faith. You know, there's there's never a better time than right now. The right now that you're in is always the best time for you to jump in, to be all in. I just want to give you that opportunity. I would love to talk to you about that in more detail on a one-to-one, you know, face-to-face basis. I'm going to be down front. I, I always am. And then I'm going to be in the back at the end. Please don't hesitate to get me and say, Hey, Pastor, will you, will you talk to me about this? Will you, will you pray with me about these things? I'd love to do that. My other challenge is to you who name the name of Christ. You, you are following Christ. He is your Savior. You know that without a doubt. What I'm challenging you, my brother and my sister, to do that with that is to, to truly, constantly choose to own that in every area of your life to make sure you're walking out your faith, not just here on Sundays or on Wednesdays or even in your life group, but that you're walking out your faith, you're living out your faith when you're at the job, when you're in the store, when you're over at your family's house, when you're watching that show on TV, when you're listening to whatever the music is you have playing, when you're reading the books, whatever you find yourself doing, whatever your rhythms of life are, my challenge to you in the name of Jesus is to live out and walk out your faith and own it. Let's do that together. I'm going to pray. And then Pastor Matthew will lead us in another song of worship. Father, thank you for loving us enough, for valuing sinners like us enough to send your very son to come and redeem us back to yourself. Knowing that sending him to this earth on the mission that you gave him to do would be the most horrible, intense, agonizing thing that the Son of God would ever take on. And you did it anyway. We're told in your word that you were pleased to crush Him, your Son, knowing that the chastisement that He endured bought us our peace. You tell us that by His stripes we are healed of our sin debt. And we, we are told in Hebrews that your son, knowing what he was accomplishing, he endured the cross, despising its shame, knowing he was purchasing for himself a people. He went all in. He held nothing back for us. Oh, Father, Father, please, Help us not to hold anything back from you. Help us to give of ourselves completely. Help us to own our faith entirely. And for those who have not truly done that yet, those who have not surrendered their whole person to the Lord Jesus Christ, please let today, right now, be the time of their salvation. Be the time of their freedom. Be the time that they are all in. I pray that you would do whatever work is needed in our lives to make us people that own our faith. And I ask this in the name above all names, that of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.